0: Hello, Illuminated Souls. I'm Brian Drioni.
1: And I'm Tina Demore. Welcome to Shamans After Dark. Today, we'll be discussing the process
0: of healing and how it's not linear, but more circular. Absolutely. We hear a lot about healing in spiritual circles these days, whether it's an energy healing circle or, you know, some kind of spiritual process. There are so many different tools, modalities, and pathways in which we can pursue our healing. And sometimes it gets a little romanticized, like as if it's an easy process, and doing this work is some kind of easy, magical easing of our trauma. And speaking from personal experience and and people that I've worked (laughs) with, it's rarely the case that I've ever seen. And sometimes we even see some healers claiming, in one session, release your trauma. I know I can speak for both of us. We dislike saying this because that is rarely the case. I think it's something that is individual to each person and yes. unwinds in its own unique way for everyone.
1: It really does. And when you're actually releasing trauma from your body, it's it's not a pleasant experience. If it's a big trauma, it doesn't usually feel safe to do one ses- session. So maybe your body releases some trauma and that's that's great. But you have to process the emotional and cognitive levels too. Um, when we're authentically doing the deep healing work, it can often feel like a dumpster fire going down a steep hill and your brakes won't work.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I've I've experienced that myself.
1: (laughs) So healing is a process. Some might say it's circular, but it's definitely not linear. I would like to be right. It would be a great thing if it'd be like, oh, that nice and calm line. I know it's coming (laughs) when it is coming. Um, but that's just not the way it really goes. Um we can't control the process, we have to flow with it. Um, And I think in some ways, that's a lesson for us to really have those tools in um, being able to cope with the hard parts of healing. So you might think you're past something, and then a situation occurs, and then you're back, surprisingly, in a space that you thought you'd settled with your psyche and your body. Um, But that's the signal that there's more work to be done. It's nothing to beat yourself up about.
0: That's just the healing process. Right. And I think the question comes up is healing ever really done because when you come back where you're like I've done all this deep work and then you realize ah it's still this gaping wound that there I it thought is it scabbed over <laughs> we have made progress and you know something right. is triggering and you, you find yourself back in this space or some other emotion that you had thought you had addressed but now oh look there's anger behind that grief or mm-hmm. there's something else there that just didn't come up at the time and so I think it's really hard to say I think that's so it's unique and in individual You know, But if you circle back to a place you thought was healed, I think when you can look at it again, you're more able to identify and acknowledge that the situation or person, that old wound was triggered, and it's still living within you in a way. But if you're really doing the work, you now have some tools. You have something to say, oh, look, I can look at this, and I'm a little more removed. I'm not so full Mm -hmm. in the trauma response now. I'm, I'm a little more like I can say, wait a minute, I understand what's coming up in me. I have the way to now settle myself or or deal with this without going into a doom spiral or letting it kind of take over your life like an old scar being curious about it like we can come back to the space and say there's more work to do here and coming in with a more curious heart instead of being really caught up in the old trauma that Mm -hmm. you've been trying to heal so it's not maybe necessarily the open oozy wound it's not like really bleeding and raw it's you now have healed part of it. It's kind of like that scap that got picked a little bit. And you're like, oh, that really still that still kind of hurts. And that's still here for me. But it's not. um, It's not what it was like you could see some of the progress that you're making. And it doesn't have as much power over you as it may have in the past prior to doing that healing work around your whatever you're trying to resolve.
1: Thank you for saying all of that. It makes a lot of sense, I think, for hopefully for people that are listening. I mean, when, in our society, when we're experiencing some trauma or wounding that's happened, we aren't really given the space to address the issue, like with curiosity and all of these beautiful tools that we're talking about. I mean, when we're a kid, we are not typically given the tools. We're lucky if we are given that support or time to help us. We don't really live in a culture where there are accessible elders that recognize we need support. We don't really have uh, support for grief. We, it's not really it, it's just being encouraged, but it's it hasn't been for a long time. So we're in, essentially uncomfortable with grief, and there is a strange setting of a timeline for grief. We can't actually control that process. I knew somebody that once said, "I've allowed myself to grieve my mother for this amount of time, and then it's done." And I sat to my sat there thinking to myself, and I wasn't judging her. I'm like, "Wow, that's a lot of pressure." Yeah, you know, um, it doesn't normally operate in a way that we can
0: say, "Okay, now I'm done." It is just grief. And well, and also, too, I think sometimes we're because of the way we live in society now where we don't get to really have safe space to express what we're going through sometimes in a held environment, mm-hmm. you know, people either putting their opinion on it or you know, telling you how you should be feeling or reacting and also sometimes depending on the trauma situation or whatever is occurring for you, you start to disassociate and you start not allowing yourself to feel the feelings or things come up because it's uncomfortable. It's not acceptable. It's not okay. Especially for women, we're not allowed to be a hot mess. We, you know, you got to be the wa- mom and the wife and the working woman. And you're, you know, you're playing all these roles and you have to keep it together, even though you might be screaming inside because you're experiencing grief or trauma or something else or, or just yeah. kind of repressed emotion. Like you're not allowed to be angry. Uh, you know, or have boundaries and say no, because heaven forbid you say no. And everybody we stand up for ourselves and be a, you know, a, a labeled
1: word. Yes. <laughs> um, that's not so nice. Right. <laughs> exactly. And if we're angry, you know, so, yeah, there's a lot of pressure. Yeah. I mean, I think men feel pressured in different ways, but. Absolutely.
0: Do not, not, not cry, you know, like not sh- share that or to be seen as vulnerable. Like I think men don't get that luxury. Sometimes they have to be impervious and the hero and the strong one and, you know, I think there's a lot of, again, either dissociating or we're stuffing it all down. Mm-hmm. And so we it gets shoved into our body. It almost becomes its own intrusion. Yeah, it's in it there. And, yeah. and then when you start unpacking it, you're like, oh my gosh, here's my wounded child. And then here's my wounded teenager. And here's my wounded self. Mm-hmm. And all these parts. And they show up at different times. And once you start doing the work, all this start, starts showing up and you're like, wait a minute, I did not sign up. For this. I was working on the one thing and now <laughs> Too I you know, much. got a room full of your wounded selves and different parts and stages of your healing. All and these inner children just standing there going, but I,
1: you know, and so I think what's healthy is to allow ourselves to process this as much as we need to, you know, not putting a set timeline on healing. I mean, if you're con- committed to healing, you might be doing it for the rest of your life in some way. Um, Absolutely, but if we avoid or bypass or dissociate it, it'll catch up with us and bite us eventually. So, might as well not scoot around it for you know, and not meet benefit. anybody else's
0: timeline. Meet right. your own timeline. Meet exactly. yourself where you're at, and and I think it's so important to have patience mm-hmm. and compassion for ourselves yes. and allowing ourselves to move through what we need to move through without judgment um, or so criticism. I think we're our own worst critics and our own worst judges and being like, you know, we're trying to present ourselves to the world in one way when we're still trying to do this big work and, and we should honor our process. So, you know, facing, you know, where we are in the moment without shame, without guilt, an example, me going to say, where I'm at is okay. I'm okay being this hot mess as a dumpster fire going down the hill right now. I'm safe. I'm okay. It feels horrible and it's scary, and you know, but you're doing the work. And it's also important when you're doing that work to really have a good support system in it place is. with people that you feel safe or even a professional, you know, like whether it's a therapist, psychologist, you know, someplace that you're just also getting the support that you need to work through it in right. a constructive way so that it doesn't just become this never-ending loop of of suffering that you're going through. You're doing the work, work at your own pace in ways that allow you to feel safe and in your body while doing it. And I love this quote by Pima Chodron is allowing ourselves to feel without shame or guilt and honoring what comes up. I love that. Kind of sums that up. Yes. Like, you know, we don't have to have a story around it either. We can just say, I'm feeling... Sad. I'm feeling grief. I'm feeling anger, and, and just
1: be with that, not having yeah. a story about oh, it's because of this. But yeah. I think what's also important, brie is is to yeah, you're in the healing process, but it's okay to pay, take a breather every once in a while and yeah. just be like, okay, I need a little break from this, and I'm going to do something a little fun and just kind of get my mind off of all these things and come schedule back to joy. This. Yeah, schedule <laughs> joy if you have to, um and and come back to it when when you're ready to it's gonna be there. And so like I love the patience and compassion you just mentioned. I think compassion for yourself and empathy for yourself is such a key to healing. Supporting ourselves as we navigate through it is so key. Um and I think we've also talked about this too, brie but accountability, ownership for our healing yep. process that means we're taking our power back when you're no longer, you know, the victim in your story we're more the hero. Yes, it may have have happened to you. And I don't want to victim blame. I I really get turned off by no. that. Um, but turning the story in a way because we do tell ourselves stories uh, in a way that we're, we're doing it. And we're making a decision to grow despite the discomfort and despite what happened is essential. The thing is, is if you're stuck, then it's meant to be painful. To s- if you if you stay stuck, it's going to be painful. Um, but if you choose to make some big changes in your inner healing, That's also going to be uncomfortable too. The risk is moving into the unknown, which may feel, you know, really uncomfortable for a time, but it may also include growth, progress and improvement. But if you stay stuck, more pain is what's guaranteed. It's guaranteed. So take, it takes trust and faith in yourself to make these big changes. And, you know, I think the healing process deserves a good pat on the back for yourself. Yeah, because we don't do that absolutely.
0: You know, yeah, get the gold stars for doing right? the work. You know, it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> we don't reward ourselves enough for saying, "Hey, I'm doing this work," and it's uncomfortable. But also allowing ourselves to see where we have grown and what we have healed, or what where we have taken our power back from whatever we're trying to overcome or release or move through. And I think doing the healing work is, like you said, is that process of reclaiming our personal power and mm-hmm. our and our own sovereignty yeah. as an individual being. I know we're all connected and we are all part of this great web of life. And if everyone really worked on their healing. Oh, gosh. Imagine the, the right. shift that would happen. But you can't, you have to be ready to do it. And sometimes you're not, maybe not in this lifetime. It's just not the space where you're ready to do that. And and that's okay. You know, you just meet yourself where you're at and, and do it where you can and trying to keep moving forward. You know, a part of reclaiming a personal power is, as you said, taking accountability for doing the work and not give your power away. And I mm-hmm. think we see both have seen this happen when sometimes when someone's going to a shamanic practitioner, energy healer, it's like you want someone to wave this magic wand. Yes. And and it make you better like fix me and not taking accountability that yes, we can do energy healing. We could do the shamanic healing all day, but if you aren't actually integrating that, taking accountability and also continuing the work past that session, You're not going to benefit from it because you're not taking ownership and standing in your own power and in in your own healing process. Because sometimes some people are a little comfortable being in that unwell space because it's safe for whatever reason. It's so true.
1: And I could go on a little tangent about that, which I'll have to just contain myself not to do. Um, But yes, it's I I love when we were planning this particular episode, I loved what you said. 90% is you. 10% 10% is the shamanic practitioner, energy worker. We are creating the shifts, but you need to receive them. And in order to receive them, you've got to do the work. And if you've got assignments to integrate something, you know, you got to do it. You got to take it seriously. Some people just don't want to take responsibility. They don't do any of it. And guess what? There's no change. There's really no change. It's like, it's like putting something in a jar that's closed.
0: Well, it's like putting a band-aid on an infected wound. You're not actually addressing what the infection, right? Like you're just covering it up so you're pretending it's not there. Skimming it's over not the real yeah, gunk. you know it's it's all of these things, your doctor, your mental health, your you know your physical health, all of these things there's just whether you' are working with energy workers and and other support tools all are these are tools for the individual to use in their healing process. but mm-hmm. you're you are still the individual responsible for doing the work or taking the medicine or changing Mm -hmm. the diet or making those shifts for yourself and we are creatures of habit and sometimes it's really hard to change the habits we're in because those are comfortable safe places right one thing at a time yeah
1: and and it is a way of getting taking your power back rather than having your healer do all this you know, stuff for you and you're just kind of not doing much or having your doctor test your blood or having, you know, going to a mental health professional and, ha- and talking about it. You've got to make those changes within your life for really there to, to be um, a shift.
0: Exactly. And, you know, we talked earlier about um, self-compassion and empathy for the self and I just want to take a second. Like, what does self compassion mean? Because I think we hear it a lot, but what does it really mean to do? And it's not just like, hey, I'm going to do the thing that makes me feel good for no reason, right? (laughs) Like, that's not it. (laughs) You know, like self care. Like, (laughs) sometimes I think, what does that really mean? And so uh, I'm just going to read a couple, share a couple definitions from um, Dr. Kristen Neff, who's done a lot of work and research around this. And we can have a link to her, her, um, one of her papers on the website if you're interested in learning a little more. So her definition of self compassion is, Self-compassion is being kind and understanding when confronted with personal feelings, honoring and accepting your humanness comprised of self-kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness. Self-compassion is valuing one's own pursuit of happiness and aversion towards suffering and behaving in accordance with those values, transforming negative thought habits, attitudes, and emotional biases. Self-compassion is not self-indulgence feeling sorry for the self or self-pity or ruminating on personal entitlement, an example of like what the self lacks or deserves. Self-compassion is sort of a paradox as it's not really about focusing on the self, but about considering oneself as one of the sentient beings among all others towards which it is worthy to dedicate one's own energy to the avoidance of suffering and the promotion of happiness. I love that. And I just like those definitions. That's why I really wanted to share them because I think it's a nice way of, of phrasing it and giving a little more clarity about what we mean when we're talking about self-compassion.
1: I I love those definitions. I love Dr. Kristen Neff. We will have links for this. I also want to talk about Sarah Payton, who talks about warm accompaniment in her book, Your Resonant Self. She talks about how everyone has an inner voice and how we can approach ourselves uh, in a kind way when we speak to ourselves. A lot of us speak to ourselves critically, or we wouldn't say the things to other people that we do to ourselves. So this is a a form of self-compaction. And it makes a big difference in the healing process as a practice. You know, how can I be supportive to myself right now? You always want to be asking that question. So I'm going to quote Sarah Payton, who said, in the Western world, there are many religious traditions that tell us that self-warmth is selfish or sinful. We are often encouraged to project warmth outward as compassion for others, or for the world, but warned that we shouldn't turn too much of this warmth toward the self. In my humble opinion, she says, there is an absence of understanding in Western culture about how deeply harmful loneliness is for humans, and how important it is that we learn to cultivate warmth for ourselves. I call this nervous system state of not receiving enough warmth and not having internalized a loving, resonating self-witness, alarmed aloneness. Understanding how and why human brains need warmth is a key reason why resonant healing works to repattern our nervous systems towards kindness and resilience. Self-warmth is about the integration and internalization of experiences of affection, presence, understanding, and kindness that comes to us from others. If we haven't received this as young ones, we can build it ourselves through cultivating our resonating self-witness really like that. Yeah, I love it. I'll ha- we have links to this on our website.
0: You know, and st- and I think sometimes too we're uncomfortable sitting with the uncomfortable feelings that come up when we're doing our healing work or shadow work or we're we're trying to deepen our connection to our whole self. And I think we we don't realize that studies show we only experience an emotion for 90 seconds. Yeah. So, if you just allow yourself to be like this is 90 seconds of discomfort, I mean, think about it. If it's lasting longer than 90 seconds, you're feeding it with a story. You're giving it a narrative and you're giving it life. It's like adding fuel to the fire. You're stuck in a loop. It's, you know, your thoughts that are getting involved and leading you down that doom spiral and creating this narrative and this story and feeding it. It's like when you start thinking about something that upset you and no one's there, but you keep feeding it and feeding <laughs> it and you get more worked up and you can feel the, the you know physiological response in your body. You're like, I'm getting really frustrated or angry, but... It's really you having a conversation and dialogue with yourself that's that's feeding that emotion. So if we can just bear witness, this is making me very uncomfortable. I'm very angry right now. Or just note, you know, it's like when you're meditating and you're like thoughts and coming back to the breath. Mm-hmm. It's like saying, anger coming back to the breath. This is here and making space for it without feeding it and just letting Let it I go, flow and go. And that's hard. I yeah. mean, that is, a, that is an intentional process and practice one would have to create for yourself right sometimes I, I think it's hard. just
1: sitting there going okay am i feeding this emotion with thoughts or you know because it's true if it lasts more than 90 seconds then what are you doing to feed that fire
0: yeah We are responsible for our own reaction to -hmm. what others bring to us. So if we're in an argument with someone and we're getting more and more upset because we're feeding that conversation, you can't make it their fault, right? You are still your own person who gets to choose to continue to be in that situation or continue that argument or continue to be in that place that is not well for you in whatever way. And so there is this narrative happening in the Mm -hmm. back of the brain around this conversation, right, that's happening or whatever situation we might find ourselves in so being able to say i'm gonna step away i'm gonna step away for a minute without feeding that and just see what happens
1: i, I love what Brene brown says she said you can talk to somebody saying you know if you're upset about something you say the story i'm telling myself is this yeah. and it makes us a little bit vulnerable which i think you know is really needed for good relationships and the story i'm telling myself is this and that, that really just tells both parties that it's not something you're married to, but this is why it's it's a burden for you, you know. And we all tell ourselves stories. We
0: all we do. do. And also others tell us stories that we adopt about ourselves. Yes. So it's not always our truth. It's a narrative that someone gave us around ourselves. And I think this happens as children. We're told something around our behavior or how we show up or something that we do. And then our internal narrative adopts that story and feeds it. And then it becomes kind of reality. We absorb it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Instead of saying, I I Refuse to accept your story about me in this.
1: Right. And it, it takes a lot of work. I mean, you know, you can say, I'm anxious about this. And then all of a sudden, like, we go down the rabbit hole of thoughts and doom spiral, like you said, and, and create a big annihilation story for ourselves. Um, but you can also catch yourself. You can say, All right, I feel anxiety right now, and I'm just going to sit with this. And it's
0: really, you know, it's not easy to do in the moment, but it can be done. It can be done. And I think resisting, allowing ourselves to feel something prolongs that. Yeah. If you're going to disassociate, I'm not feeling the thing. I'm going to shove it down and put it the back of my mind, and I'm not going to deal with this coming up. It's still there. Yeah. Unresolved. So just like when you start mining your trauma or your woundedness, or you're doing your own healing in your work, and then you're like, oh, my God, here's my wounded child, because the wounded child didn't get to express that. Or there's something there. So it, it builds up within us in our body. We're carrying it. So it's just prolonging us to carry that, and and adds to our suffering.
1: Like Pema Chodron says, feel the feelings and drop the story.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. So you know, I
1: like said agree with it. Sit with it for a minute, as uncomfortable it is. And this is really, really important to say. If if it's too much to sit with, you've got to have tools to be able to sit with it. Um, because some people, some things, and the experiences they may have, it might be so too much to be in the body while you're sitting with it. So you might need to have someone else help you with it. By that, I mean, a, a healer or, you know, behavior health professional to help give you some tools to be able to sit through something that's been unprocessed
0: that's really big. And I've heard this some a long time ago. And I don't know the origin origin of the quote or the saying, but it was always resonant for me is that saying I am not the voice inside my head. And when you realize that you are free, mm-hmm. when you realize you are not defined, you are that who's observing. Like you're behind that, but you're not that narrative, that negative critic inside of your head. That's just another either protector part or version mm-hmm. of ourselves that keeps us, tries to keep us safe in some way. But it's it also tears us apart sometimes. sometimes. That critic is just there and keeps us from doing things or tells us we can't and keeps us in our little box. And this could be
1: all unconscious too. We don't even know that voice is like chattering back there.
0: You know? Mine is constantly chattering. <laughs> <laughs> it's never ending narrative all the time, even when I'm trying to go to sleep. For me, I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm not this voice no, that's running in the side of my head so all much the time. more than we
1: think we are. we yeah. really are.
0: So, Tina, what does spirit have to say about the process of healing? They said,
1: whether human or non-human, a spirit who chooses to become embodied on Earth understands the expansiveness of the growth being undertaken. This seems to be forgotten as a young one grows, human or not, and so each challenge and grievous experience, as well as the joys and celebrations. the healing process embodied. Your embodied life in your world is not an easy one, and it is not built to be easy. It is a continuous unfolding and a discovery of oneself. A good portion of the ones who reside in the spirit world have walked the earth, which is why these wise ones are available for support. Many of us, such as the one who is speaking now, have walked the other worlds for thousands of years, and so the more intense experiences are nearly forgotten. But our compassion is not. It is for you humans to have compassion for yourselves when you encounter troubles. For these healing experiences are best traveled with patience and self-love. Although we envelop you in love as well, your own self-accompaniment is the highest healing bomb one can offer. That's beautiful. What did they say about this for you?
0: Uh, so my helping spirit said, everyone's healing process is unique and their own. You can't compare your journey to another's and it comes in its own time. You live in a time where many suffer in silence or are ashamed for not getting over it. You are pushed to conform to what others think your healing process should look like or for it to occur within a specific time frame. How can one truly heal if you're not allowed to experience your own embodied healing process at your own pace? How can you heal if you hide away from the uncomfortable emotions? Healing is challenging and raw. It stings to look deeply into your wounds, but when you clean them out and remove the debris that keeps them from closing, then you are making space for true healing to happen. Healing is a powerful teacher and it frequently challenges you to look at the way you choose to show up in the world. Healing is possible if you are willing to sit with your truths without judgment and a compassionate heart towards yourself. Trust in yourself and give yourself the space to heal. Know that you are supported by spirit and your ancestors.
1: Both of these messages were so warm and full of compassion. Could you feel that?
0: Yes, absolutely. was beautiful. We have a two-part journey prompt for this episode. The first journey is journey to your helping spirits and ask to be given fresh eyes on the process of your healing at this time. Ask to be shown the power you have in your healing process. Step two Journey and ask, please show me a ceremony that I can perform to celebrate myself and my healing process.
1: Thank you, Brie. You know, I think it might be helpful for listeners if they do this two step journey process to journal about how um, what they got on these journeys and how far they've come on this your own healing path. um, Yeah. And reflect on how you've taken accountability in your own healing journey. So um, that's something that you can add to this as well. If you really want to delve into this piece, um, which we hope you do, Um, and you can find these prompts on shamansafterdark.com. We hope you drop us a line and you can find Brie on treehearthealing.com and myself at threeproshealing with a numeral three. And there are also links to our personal pages at shamansafterdark.com.
0: Until next time, everyone keep on shining your light.
1: Greetings, illuminated souls. Due to the increased demands of our everyday lives,
0: Shamans After Dark is taking a hiatus. Thanks for listening. Until next time, keep on shining your light.